You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Amen. Good morning, everyone. As always, I'm so grateful that I get to learn more about Jesus and worship the Lord with each one of you, whether here in person or online. Um, On that end, we'll be continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke, looking at the life and mission of our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And uh, we're not going to waste any time this morning. We're going to jump right into His Word. And today, as we do, I just want to mention, first of all, that you'll notice as we go through the Word that, that Luke... Um, uses the phrase law of the Lord or law of Moses a whole bunch of times in this short little passage that we're going to be reading. Uh, and as such, we're going to be uh, having a crash course. We're going to be relearning about what the law says about us as humans and primarily why it's significant for God's plan of redemption and for our salvation. So that's what we're going to be learning about this morning. Um, hopefully it won't be too, too dull or too boring. Actually, for me, it's really exciting. Um, but uh, we're going to be reading through Luke 2, 21 to 24, and then we'll skip over to verses 39 to 40 because we've already gone through everything that's in the middle of that. So Luke 2, 21 to 24, and then 39 to 40. It says, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let's, let's pray again. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that we could be gathered together as the body of Christ in your presence, Lord God, and I pray that as we... As we get into your word this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would, would speak to us, that you'd open our hearts to receive what you have for us, and that we'd, we'd grow in a greater understanding of, of your love for us and who you've called to be as, as your church, Lord God. Um, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness, for your glory, for your grace and your mercy, Lord God, that it would shower upon us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So some of you may have already heard, but in, in a couple of weeks, my family and I are moving into a different house, which we're really excited about, um, which means we've placed our current house up for sale. And, and so if you want to buy a house, no, I'm just kidding. And um, so far, we, we've, we've had quite a few showings of our house, which is, which is positive, which is good. But at the same time, it's also been a little, a little stressful and a lot of work making it presentable especially because obviously we want our house to sell well, uh, to show well, I mean. Um, but but this, this also means that we've started to look at our house through the eyes of those who, who might be thinking of buying it. And, and what's strange is that because of this, this new perspective, 
we've started to notice how much mess or, or clutter or unfinished renos or little things like cobwebs in the corner of a ceiling and nicks in the wall, things we've ignored or just never noticed or just lived with and put up with over the years in our house. And, and what, what I mean is we thought our house was pretty clean and well put together until we started looking at it through the lens of potential home buyers. And spiritually speaking, this is actually what happens to each, of, each one of us when we start to see ourselves through the lens of the law of the Lord. And, and for those who don't know, the, the law of Moses, also called here the law of the Lord, they, they were commandments uh, first given to God's people in the Old Testament by God through Moses, starting with the Ten Commandments. And, and they were given to them in order to in, instruct and teach them how to live set apart or holy, right? That's what holy means, set apart from the world as citizens and lights of his kingdom. That's what the, the law was given to them for. And Jesus summed up the law and the prophets like this. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? So ultimately, the law is, is a tangible reflection of the holiness and righteousness of God. But measured up against it, we all fall short. What I mean is that we may at times think we're, we're, we're pretty good people, or a pretty nice person, right, morally or spiritually speaking, but, but then examined against the law of Moses or the law of the Lord, the righteousness of God, we actually start to see in ourselves the sins or idols or grudges or pride or identity issues, and the list goes on, that, that we've been committing or holding on to or ignoring or maybe even ignorant and unaware of in our own hearts. As the Apostle Paul once summed up in Romans 3, 19 to 20, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. The knowledge of sin comes through the law. So, so on one level, the law was given to God's people to show them the way of God, to make them subject or responsible in obedience, and to show them the difference between what's good and bad according to the plan and character of God. But because of this, many then interpreted the law as, as, as a means to simply atone for bad behavior or, or even to, as a way to become righteous before God, right? To work it out as a way to make God accept us or to get us to heaven. But in order to, to fully understand the, the passage we read from the Gospel of Luke a little earlier, we, we need to first of all understand that that's not the reason the law exists. The law can't and isn't meant to save us. The truth is that while God does desire for us to live righteously, we can't in our own strength. We can't on our own. We can't atone for our own mistakes and our own sins. And so each and every time we fail to live out the law is actually meant to prove to us or reveal to us the reality of what God already knows. That, that we're sinners who can't measure up to the glory of God. And it sounds really negative, but it's actually really good. We'll, we'll get to that. As Philip Graham Reichen writes, 
The law exposes sin for what it really is, namely a violation of God's holy standard. This is what transgression means, the crossing of a legal boundary or the breaking of a specific law. Paul explained this effect of the law to the Romans when he said, if it, if it had not been for the law, he wrote, I would not have known sin. God did not give the law to reveal the way to be justified. He gave it to disclose the evil power of sin. So hopefully you guys are following along here. So the law reveals to us who we really are, while also at the same time making us subject to its consequences. We're not in ignorance anymore, right? For example, you might think you're physically healthy until you go and get your regular blood test from the doctor, right? And then after she sees the results, she might then inform you that you're high in cholesterol. The reality is, is that you'd have never known you had high cholesterol until you had had that blood test done, right? Of course, it's bad news for you. You don't want to hear that. But this doesn't make the blood test bad, right? This doesn't make the blood test a bad thing. It actually makes it a good thing, right? It revealed to you an issue that you were previously unaware of, right, which may have eventually killed you precisely so that you could now have the knowledge and responsibility of making the necessary adjustments to your diet and lifestyle in order to correct it. And, and in the same way, the law of Moses is like a, is like a spiritual blood test for us, it reveals to us our ailment. And so while it might be, be tempting, we shouldn't start to think that the law is, is bad or mean to us simply because it reveals to us that the reality of our sin and its destruction and sin's destruction over us. In, in fact, this actually makes the law incredibly good. It informs us, right? Be because in revealing to us our slavery to sin and, and the judgment for it and, and our inability to atone for it or become righteous by our own works, we can now recognize our desperate need to be redeemed from it. As John Calvin once wrote, the law was given in order to make transgressions obvious and in this way to compel men to acknowledge their guilt. And it's only when we acknowledge our guilt and our sin and repent of our transgressions before the Lord that we can then see how much we need a Savior to rescue us from it. And so we can see then how God used the law to reveal this to us so that we would come to him, right? And it, re it reveals that stuff to us. And in turn, it also reveals how incredibly valuable we are to God and how much he loves us and how much he wants to save us. This love for us is precisely why God sent his one and only son to not only be born into the world, but to also be born under the law, just as we are. So that he could accomplish for us what we couldn't in our sin. A perfect life of obedience. As Jesus once said in Matthew 5.17, he said, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill to do what none of us could ever do, to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so as the beginning of the Gospel of Luke informs us, Jesus was born into a Jewish home. Therefore, that means he was born under the law of Moses. But again, unlike everyone else, he alone went on to live a perfect life of obedience under and in accordance with that law of God. 
And, and this is what makes him the perfect and spotless lamb who can then defeat the weight of sin at the cross, rescuing and redeeming by his grace alone all those who believe in his name by faith. Right? Only he could take on the weight of our sin to the point of death and through his resurrection, now covered in his righteousness, can invite us into a new life within the kingdom of God. Galatians 4, 3-7 sums this up well when it says, In the same way we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That's the Christmas story, right? God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. So Abba, the word Abba was was the word which Jewish children, young and old, used and still use to this day as an endearing term for their fathers. So this passage is is telling us exactly what we've been discussing, that Jesus was born under the law of Moses in order to redeem everyone else, Jew and Gentile alike, who were themselves under that burden and curse of the law, who couldn't fulfill it themselves. And because he did that for us, we've now been freely adopted as his children, which means that, that, that for those who found redemption in Christ, God's not some distant being we have to now please by following a bunch of laws and rules. God's not our slave driver. No, he's Abba, Father. He's our dad. He's your dad. As it expresses in verse 9, we've come to know God, or rather, be known by God. In Christ, we now know him, and he knows us. The law is no longer in the way. So by his righteousness, we've, we've now been given the free gift of being born again and adopted securely and eternally into the family line of God. In other words, in Christ, we've become sons. And at that time, the, the oldest, the son, was the heir to the family line, right? So we've all become that, which means joint heirs with him and receiving as beneficiaries with with full rights, the blessings, promises, and eternal inheritance of Christ, of our Abba Father. So to sum up, the Son of God was born into the world under the law to redeem those under the judgment of the law so they could also now become sons and daughters of God as well. This, this is loving grace, right? This is loving grace, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. It's incredible to think about. Timothy Keller writes, to be adopted means that now God loves us as if we had done all the things Jesus had done. Think about that. To be adopted means that now God loves us as if we had fulfilled the law and the prophets ourselves. And so now on the flip side of that, in Christ, we now can live for him in obedience with that relationship as our foundation. Not to get something from God, but because we're already his. And in in the verses we read from Luke this morning, we find that Jesus' obedience under the law began even when he was a baby. 
And so if we know that Jesus had to fulfill the law, we know how important it is for that to have happened. And we see that it started even when he was a baby. It says that after eight days, he was circumcised in accordance with the law, which symbolizes the covenant between God and Abraham. Then he was named Jesus in accordance with the commandment of God through the angel Gabriel. And Jesus carries the meaning Jehovah is salvation. And then when the time of the ritual purification rites for for the mother was over, which was at the end of 40 days, according to the law, Jesus was then brought into the temple to be dedicated as holy, that is set apart before the Lord. And this was also in accordance with the law of Moses, which required a family's firstborn son to be redeemed through an offering. And there are some choices through an offering of either five shekels, a spotless lamb, or if, if you were poor or lacking in wealth, you could give a pair of turtle doves or a pair of young pigeons, which it seems was the case with Mary and Joseph. Uh, Warren Wearsby, he writes, they also had to redeem the boy since he was Mary's firstborn, which is from Exodus 13, to 2. They had to make a sacrifice to redeem the Redeemer who would one day redeem us with his precious blood. Think of how cool that is. They had to make a sacrifice to redeem the Redeemer who would one day redeem us with his precious blood. And so after they had done everything, it says, after they had done everything with accordance with the law, it says they went back to their home in Nazareth. And according to verse 40, and the child Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So again, as we've learned In order for Jesus to have fully rescued us from the burden of the law, it was paramount that he would have to live in perfect accordance with the law himself. But obviously, at this time, Jesus Jesus was only a baby, right? He had no control over the situation, which is amazing in itself to think about, that Jesus, the Son of God, had set aside all control of his life to two humans, But yet it was these two humans, his parents, Mary and Joseph, who obediently ensured that that everything was done in accordance with the scriptures. Think think about that, though. If, if If they hadn't obeyed the law first, then Jesus wouldn't have been under the blessing and wisdom of God in his formative years. Think of the consequences of that. Obviously, God knew they would. Right? They, he didn't choose them by accident. But the point still remains. Mary and Joseph's obedience to the Lord was paramount in the fulfillment of Jesus' purpose to redeem the word. The world, sorry. To redeem the world. So, so first of all, we see that Luke is, is emphasizing this for us to remind us that even from birth, Jesus was under the law. But that secondly, thanks to his parents, he lived in accordance with the law even from the beginning. And so there's there's another lesson in here as well, especially for all the parents listening to this or anyone else who has influence over children in their lives, aunts and uncles, friends of family that have children, right? And this is the lesson. It's that just like Mary and Joseph, your influence and example to your children, to our children, your leading of them to God in their formative years is incredibly important. And don't worry, this doesn't mean that that we have to be perfect or that we necessarily need to have all the answers. We don't even need to know the specific direction or purpose God has for our children. 
I mean, not even Mary and Joseph knew God's full purpose for Jesus as is surmised when, when Simeon later speaks his word over him in the temple. They're just as surprised by some of his words as, as, as anyone else. But yet, as parents, we do have an incredibly important responsibility of teaching and leading our children into the heart of God through both exemplifying and proclaiming to them the knowledge and loving grace of Jesus Christ. As Tabiti Anyabwile writes, parents' righteousness, even in poverty, like Mary and Joseph, makes a huge difference in the lives of children. It's not about what we can give our children in material things, but how we model for them faithful obedience and service to the Lord. If we give our children that example, then we will give them everything they need for life and godliness. If we give our children the scriptures, then it will be said that our children have wisdom for salvation because of the nature of the scriptures. And if we give our children the treasure of the scriptures, then we give them spiritual wealth for a lifetime and eternity. Jesus grew in wisdom and favor with God and man because he had righteous parents. Again, this doesn't mean we have to be perfect parents in every moment. We all stumble in that role sometimes, myself included. But with that being said, our moments of imperfection are also opportunities to display humility and repentance and grace to our children. But yet, ultimately, we've been given that great responsibility by God in the strength of His Spirit and by the grace of Christ to teach them in the way of the Lord, to show them the importance of church community, to model what it is to worship and serve the body, to to teach and encourage them in Scripture, and of course to pray for them and with them. On that end, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for Mary and Joseph that they were obedient themselves because through their actions, Jesus would then grow up in the wisdom and favor of God in his formative years and would then go on to redeem the world from sin. And even though the passage implies that, that, that in their lack of wealth, they could only give the, the, the smaller option of two birds as a sacrifice for Jesus instead of the five shekels or the lamb, yet unbeknownst to them, in their obedience, unbeknownst to them, the reality in that moment was that they were preparing the true and final sacrificial lamb who would one day humbly lay down his own life at the cross as a final sin offering for all mankind. As Warren Wiersbe again wonderfully sums up, he says, Our Lord's relationship to the law is an important part of his saving ministry. He was made under the law, and though he rejected man's religious traditions, he obeyed God's law perfectly. He bore the curse of the law for us and set us free from bondage. Or as it says in Romans 3, verses 21, it says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed as attested by the law and the prophets. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
God presented him as the atoning sacrifice through faith in his blood in order to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had passed over the sins committed beforehand. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and to justify the one who has faith in Jesus. So Jesus is the righteousness of God revealed to us. Jesus is the righteousness of God given freely to us. Jesus is the law of God personified for us. And and where we fell short in obedience and sin, Jesus alone conquered and overcame, taking our sin upon himself at the cross and conquering death in his resurrection. We can now be set free from the bondage of the law and now covered in the righteousness of Christ. We can enter into the presence of God and be set free to live for him according to his good purpose. We previously didn't know God at all, but now we get to call him dad. This is incredible. This is grace and love immeasurable. This is the reality of a God of grace who pursues us and rescues us and calls us as his own simply because he loves us. In fact, as we'll read about soon, Jesus is, is baptized and filled with the Holy... When, after Jesus is baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, God exclaims to him, Here is my Son, in whom I am well pleased... And this is exactly what God exclaims over each of those who believe in the name of Jesus by faith. This is my son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. So for those here today or for those listening online, those who have never experienced this grace and freedom, turn to Jesus this morning and believe in him as your Savior. And for those who have already experienced this grace, never forget it. Never forget what Jesus has done, that that our righteousness and God's pleasure over us isn't, isn't dependent on what you do, but is freely given to us through the perfect work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is, of course, what we remember at Communion. And so I'm going to pray, and then we'll receive that together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love, for the love with which you've loved us, Lord God, that you sent your one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to be born under the law, to take the weight and curse of the law, to fulfill it on our behalf, Lord God, so that we could know you and be known by you. so that covered in the righteousness of Christ, we can live freely in your kingdom, in your love. I thank you so much, Lord, that you came, that you humbled yourself as a baby, that you, that you set aside your glory so that you could humbly live the life we couldn't live and then humbly take our place at the cross. Jesus, there is no greater love than that. And I pray that even as, as we've learned about this this morning, Lord, that you would just stir up a, a passion and, and, and a thankfulness in each of our hearts for that love with which you've loved us, Lord. That you would stir us with such desire and passion, Lord God, that we would be lights for your name, 
from that foundation of knowing that we are already yours, that we would be lights for your name, going out into the world proclaiming who you are, proclaiming that love, modeling that love to to our children, to the world, for your glory. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.